Every now and again, there's a film where you're just like, whoa, there's something about this that's just different to anything I've seen before. It was one of the probably five greatest cinema-going experiences of my life. I genuinely believe Uncut Gems is, is one of the ten greatest films of, of the last ten years. I think it's a, a total masterpiece. And I also think it's, it's Adam Sandler's greatest performance. And although he's not an actor who tends to attract a lot of critical praise, on his day, there is no one better than him. And this is this is him. I think on, on on his day of days, really. I would I would say it's an absolute like must watch. It felt like a, a shift in cinema. Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of Flitzwater Podcast. Today we're joined by Robbie. Hello. Ben Bailey Smith. Hello. Helen. Hello. And of course me. And we're going to be talking about Adam Sandler's film Uncut Gems. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Washer Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Robbie and Ben. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Go for it, Robbie. All right, my name is Robbie Collin and I am the film critic at The Telegraph. And that's kind of it. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, Sending you do a bit more. We, we sometimes <laughs> hear you do some radio and stuff from time to time. I'm, I'm, I'm a film critic, it's kind of it. Yeah, he he's a and very all that he's, entails. He's a very well dressed, excellent chef of a film critic, and he's definitely underplaying himself. He's he's also my sometime colleague on on uh, on on Wittertainment on the uh, the the BBC Five Live Film Podcast, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, we always have a good laugh on that. I mean, that's that's how I met Robbie anyway. And um, I guess to pick up from the end of that, I'm Ben. Bailey Smith, I'm an actor and a presenter and, and, a, and a few other bits and pieces. A writer, as everybody will know by the end of this podcast, when I heavily plug my novel. What, what's, what's that? Sorry, plug what? What's, what's going on, Ben? <laughs> my first novel, something I said, is, is, is coming out on Bloomsbury uh, in, uh, in June. And I didn't think I had anything to plug until before we went on air and you reminded me that we should plug stuff. So I'm going to plug something whenever this comes out to just get that inception going. You know? has, this, has this novel spilled out of you during the pandemic? I mean, is this is this your lockdown King Lear? Uh, <laughs> it was purely lucky timing, man. Like, um, I, I, the opportunity came up before the pandemic, and when the pandemic hit, I, I'd still only written, like, a chapter. <laughs> so when, when that first pandemic hit last year... Um, there was no excuse. I was just like, oh, no. what else have I got to do? I just have to you do it. You pitted yourself into a corner. You had to yeah. achieve. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. And I actually, I'm super proud of it, man. It's I've, And I've, I've written it like a, like a movie, like a movie that I'd want to see. You know, it's kind of a, it's like your classic family-friendly comedy, I would say. Well, you've just been, you've been in out, films. laugh on every page. Yeah, I've been a in lot, the odd film. A lot of people might know you, uh, I guess, uh, from Life on the Road with Ricky Gervais, for example. Um, yeah. So, so 
could this conceivably be a film further down the line, do you think? Absolutely, man. I've already had a couple of chats with okay. a couple of of like m- mega, mega monolith type companies who th- seem to own everything. That's not giving too much away. <laughs> so why, why, not, why not own something else? <laughs> hey? Well, we'll not go down there, but we gather, up do... a, gather us all up into a, your gigantic blob. Have you, I mean, I, I've never written a book. Um, have Did you write it with characters in, in mind, like who could play this person, wear it to no, transition? No, funnily enough, I didn't because the main character is a 13-year-old boy and mm. he's he's like mixed race with freckles and, and a big ginger afro. And his dad's Scottish and his mum's uh, Grenadian. Listen, you and need I, I, I play the dad. I, you actually, I funnily enough, would be perfect if we could dye your hair red because <laughs> there's a running joke throughout about how tall the dad is. Like he's he's he, he's 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 just that little bit above normal height, which is how I always think of Robbie because I think myself I'm six foot one. I'm not a small man. Whenever I see Robbie, I feel like <laughs> I'm back in the headmaster's office or something because he is head and shoulders <laughs> above me. And I'm looking up, feeling like a small boy again. So uh, you absolutely look the part. Oh, no question hair. about That's that. That's fine. We'll, we'll we'll talk. We'll talk. Consider it done. My son's got red hair. Um, Mixed race with red hair is an unusual casting, right? I, I, I couldn't think of an actor, so yeah. We'll talk as well. Helen, you got anything? You got anyone? <laughs> got cats? <laughs> got any Grenadans in your family? <laughs> one thing. I, one thing I love about you guys is yeah. When you when when initially when Kermit and Mayor from Wittertainment go away, I was like, oh no, who's going to who's going to replace them? But I love each time, and we've had other guys from who who the Wittertainment standees. We've had Edith and Clarice on the show. And it's always great to hear you guys and um, your, I like, you know, particularly like Ben, your interviews as, as actors, like yourself and Sandy, you really have a different style of interview to Simon and, and Mark. And it's always good to hear your voice as well, Robbie, especially a different counterpoint to Mark and giving different opinions. Uh, so it's always, it's always really nice hearing different voices on the show that you think is well established. And I think it's, um, I think that's echoed by everyone who listens to the show. And one thing I was thinking when you, when you talk about the casting your book, I remember you talking to Naomi Harris, uh, Ben, mm. and um, you're telling her, so you kind of played my mum uh, in the TV show. <laughs> and she, yeah, that was weird. She seemed like she couldn't, couldn't give, give a toss. <laughs> <laughs> I always try and find, com- I do remember it, yeah. I always try and find something, anything that would just, not to throw them off guard, but just to sort of make them come alive and like just become a, a normal person for a second because... Mm. I've been on the other side of that uh, microphone, so I, I I know how hard it is. No matter how into the move you are, no matter how professional you are, no matter how hardworking you are, it is hard to be asked the same questions over and over again for hours during one day. Like you start imagine. to, f- when you say something, you set up the movie or whatever, and you think, oh my God, did I just, I swear I've just said that exact thing to someone else. And you probably have, but it trips you out. So... I've found from the very first one I ever did, which was Sir Ben Kingsley, mm-hmm. uh, to always <laughs> ask at least one thing or say one thing that just throws them back into the like the now, you know. And it was actually that came from Sanjeev, you know. Sa- San- I was so nervous doing the Ben Kingsley interview. I called up Sanjeev because uh, I knew that he he knew him, he knew Ben Kingsley a little bit mm-hmm. or knows him, and Sanjeev was like. Okay, first and foremost, just like I said, oh yeah, and what about the sir thing? Do I call him sir? And he's like, no, first and foremost, forget the sir thing. Forget that. Don't 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 do that at all. Just just call him Ben. 
you know and he said secondly just hit him with a bit of praise just right at the top just right off the cuff because <laughs> he's old school you know just give him some love and then after that throw in something that only you and him could could share like just something that will just shift him into the now and it was such a good piece of advice so like nice. i did a bit of research i never knew he was mixed race you know so i yeah. thought let me throw something in there about being mixed race and the chameleonic quality of that you know in life but also obviously in in movies if if you're mm. an actor you know that ability to sort of shape shift which is something that mixed race people often have sort of in their, in their dna so i ask him this and bless sanji forever ben kingsley's eyes lit up right and he took this theatrical pause and then he went what a fascinating question you see the thing about you and i ben people like you and i Ooh, and I was like, oh my God, it's you and I, it's you and I, <laughs> me and Ben Kingsley, I was in and I've used that tactic ever since really. And it's not even really a tactic, it's more like just trying to coax yeah. a little bit of real conversation because these people, not through any fault of their own, are sort of removed. Like when, it, like when, I'm, when I did Angelina Jolie, it took me ages to get around the fact that she wasn't two-dimensional i don't mean in terms of her acting i mean in terms of i've only ever seen angelina jolie on a flat on screen, a flat screen. Yeah. you know she's as real to me as an animation until i actually met her and engaged with her and the engagement is the key thing not to put any pressure on, on you kobe helen you got you got to engage me and colin and and me and colin we did like we can be we might clam up Stern. all right Stern. so let's see how you get on <laughs> well, well, let's see how we go. And we're talking, uh, the film today, as chosen by Robbie, is uh, Uncut Gems. Uh, Robbie, can you tell us why you chose it? And then you've got a minute or less for the synopsis. Yeah, okay. So let me start with the synopsis, which is, so Uncut Gems is the story of a New York jeweler called Howard Ratner, who's played by Adam Sandler. And uh, he has been waiting for around a year and a half for an, uh, a gemstone to arrive at his office that he believes is going to change his life. It's this four and a half thousand carat black opal, which he's managed to source uh, in Ethiopia and have flown over to him in, inside the belly of a fish. Um, now, that cost him $100,000. He has it in his mind that he's going to be able to sell it at auction for a seven-figure sum. And the profit from this will write off all of his other worries in his life. And it turns out, we learn very quickly, that these other worries are not inconsiderable. First of all, he's an enormous amount of debt to his loan shark brother-in-law. Uh, his marriage to uh, Dina, who's played by Dina Menzel, is falling apart. He's got this very hot and cold relationship uh, with his young mistress, played by Julia Fox. Um, and he's also a compulsive gambler, and he can't <laughs> seem to hold on to any amount of money uh, for more than 30 seconds without already having spent it on something that he can then recoup some theoretical profit from. And really, his whole life is conducted like a casino binge where he's just leaping from game to game, you know, stacking his winnings on this table, moving over to another table, you know, everything's on this hand, everything's on another hand. And the idea that this this opal is is going to be the thing that will solve it, in fact, it becomes the thing that causes his this compulsive gambling addiction that he has to spiral off into ever more insane echelons of, of, of craziness. And uh, this is sort of triggered by the arrival of Kevin Garnett, the, the Boston Celtics, basketball player at the shop who becomes obsessed with this opal and wants to buy it off him. And this kind of tug of love between the two of them and this opal is, is one of the main dramatic motives of the film. So 
for me, the, the, the reason I chose this, is I genuinely believe Uncut Gems is, is one of the, 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 the 10 greatest films of, of the last 10 years. I think it's a, a total oh, wow. masterpiece. It speaks incredibly powerfully to the, the moment in which it was released. I think it's also a, a real all-timer that people will be revisiting, you know, from generation to generation. Um, and I also think it's, it's Adam Sandler's greatest performance. And although he's not, which I'm sure we'll discuss later <laughs> in the episode, he's not an actor who tends to attract a lot of critical praise on his day there is no one better than him and this is this is him i think on 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 his day of days really um my first encounter with uncut gems was it was the surprise film at the london film festival uh, goodness when would it have been a couple of years ago i think um, so you just had it's just one you just turn it to a film no one knows what's going to play and yeah that's, that's right. one of the best ways yeah, to, so, that's so, one of the best ways to watch isn't it with no nobody knew it, was, it had been programmed yeah. in the festival so it was everyone was in completely cold i mean we we, we knew the film existed mm-hmm. uh, but nobody knew anything about it really beyond the fact that adam sandler was in it was a new safety brothers film and it was one of the probably five greatest cinema going experiences of my life i mean i was on an adrenaline high for the rest of the evening and most of the following day. It's, it's no exaggeration. And it was it was a film that had a physical effect on people in the audience. I mean, there was there yeah. are, were certain moments when people on, on the same row as me, uh, so we're allowed, we're allowed spoilers. So at the we climax, the, the, the very climax of the film, um, someone down the road from me fell off their chair. I mean, they actually <laughs> physically, a, a, a proper like, chaplain-esque pratfall in the middle of the cinema because they were just so knocked out by it and there were people kind of you know jolting around i i felt you know the film it has this amazing assaultive quality on it on me um but you know since then i think i've seen it maybe about five five times since then another another oh, wow yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah. It came yeah. I mean, out the of last year like so a, another yes. another twice in the cinema and another twice at home that's right um so yeah five 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 times in total and um it's become in a weird way, a kind of a comfort watch for me <laughs> in that, um, I don't know, uh, there's, so if you've ever been to, to, to Japan and particularly Tokyo, there's this pastime called pachinko, where it's like a kind of a crazy pinball style game where you pour money into a machine and this enormous cascade of about a thousand metal balls bounces down this slope in front of you. Mm-hmm. Lights are flashing, sirens are blaring, animations are lighting up on the screen. And it's just this kind of assaultive, again, that word, just a bombardment of horrible sensory experience. But because the stress it produces is not related to anything at all in the real world, it becomes really invigorating. And this is this is the same for Pachinko as it is for Uncut Gems. You're just kind of surfing this anxiety tsunami as you're watching it. And to me, the experience is pure bliss. And I would do it again. I would do it again now if we weren't recording this podcast. I'd, I'd happily sit down and watch it now. <laughs> ben and Helen, is, is is it is it as Robbie says? Is it is it is it Pachinko made made celluloid? I was just trying to think of the movie that features a lot of Pachinko, and I just can't think what it is. It's annoying me now. Oh, I know what it is. It's Giri Hadji, which isn't which isn't a movie. It's a t- TV series. It's a TV series. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I was just listening to Robbie there and thinking, you know, when when we've done the show together, when Robbie feels r- really, really passionately about a movie, I don't always feel the same. <laughs> we feel the same about a lot of things, but I, I, outside of the Wu Tang Clan, I don't think there's things that Robbie feels like <laughs> that passionate about that I, I feel the same level, but. Everything he just said about uncut gems, I feel exactly the same way, and had similar experiences. 
So I'm so glad I didn't watch it on Netflix. Not mm. because I wouldn't have if I had the opportunity, but I was actually in New York. We were in New York for Christmas. Me and my wife have both got relatives there. So we thought, let's go and spend it there, which turns out to be quite a prescient decision considering when we came back, you know, no one's allowed to go anywhere. So we were lucky to squeeze that in. But um, so it was that Christmas 2019 and me and my wife went to cinema to watch it and of course it's set in the jewelry district right yeah. in, in 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 new york so we weren't a million miles away and that physical reaction that robbie talked about i mean i had it myself i didn't fall off my chair but i did find myself shifting so far i never normally move that much in the cinema and everybody was doing it as well i had that feeling like i'd put on the wrong underpants you know started, <laughs> they was just the wrong size you know they're like my teenage underpants or something and I just could not stop squirming crossing uncrossing my leg moving about wiping my face I looked to my wife she's doing she's like I can't I just can't I can't just saying I can't I can't (laughs) every decision that Sandler's character made you're just like oh Jesus please um I can't remember a film since old boy that gave me so many the original old boy mm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> let's just reiterate that gave me so many like different physical reactions like it, it was intense and and for me it was a, a better more enjoyable film than than old boy but that's that's the only comparison that just the physical response i loved that movie and and i'm really really glad that i was able to watch it in a cinema and share that experience with so many people because you know when you go to a shit comedy in the in the cinema you feel it way more than you would just watching it on tv yeah. a, a great horror you know mm-hmm. in or a terrible horror you know i've seen terrible horrors and everyone's mm-hmm. laughing and you're like oh it's not just me great you know uncut gems was yeah across the board packed cinema people were riveted but also physically uncomfortable and it was a strange sort of enjoyment so I can see why Rob, Robbie's watched it again and again from a film critic point of view but from a fan point of view I I need space before watching <laughs> Uncut Gems it's very stressful watch well, this is going to tie into the repeat viewing scores for you guys later on Helen what was your experience with Uncut Gems are you watching the cinema as well so I think I'm the only person who hasn't seen it in the cinema out uh, mm. of you I think um, I did not get to see it I don't know I don't know how how it passed me by. It was kind of the end of last year. Well, because I mean, it, is, it I, is a Netflix original, so it, yeah, just, it, 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 was, it came films. out on Nef- Netflix. and yeah, yeah, it wasn't an enormous release. I think there was only really one, was there one screen after the festival screening in London? It was only at the Prince Charles. Yeah, I saw, I yeah. saw it at the Prince Charles. It wasn't, yeah. wide, it wasn't widespread. No. And I mean, I can't stand Adam Sandler at all. Um, <laughs> but in this, I, um, I think he's great in this. And I think this film's great and I, I I kind of don't find it stressful I kind of find it perversely exciting this kind of film but I can see why people do find it stressful but I, I kind of like that excitement and prior to this I'd, I've seen good times so I kind of sort of knew what I was maybe getting myself right. in for with that so it was a bit of a warning but yeah I, I think I think it's great and I've been waiting for like a whole year for someone to pick it, so I'm so delighted that oh, good, it's good. finally been picked. And we I, can I was just amazed it, it wasn't on there. To be honest, like True. To, to the listeners who don't know the mechanics of this show, like Kobe and Helen sent us like uh, the invite, come and be on the show. I was like, great, cool, Robbie, great, and then they're like, here's um, what's already been taken. Um, 
from Netflix that you can choose. So you that you can't choose, you know. I was like, okay, cool. Scroll down the list. I was still scrolling. You know that scene in uh, is it is it is it in Infinity War where Loki's like, I'm still falling. Yeah. I've been falling for thirty minutes. That's how I felt. I've been scrolling for thirty minutes. Like it's just every film on Netflix. I was like, well, there's nothing left. And then I couldn't believe Uncut Gems wasn't on that list. I mean, that just unreal. That film. Yeah, if you haven't seen it. I would, I would say it's an absolute like must watch. It felt like a, a shift in cinema. Every every now and again, there's a film where you're just like, "Whoa, there's something about this that's just different to anything I've seen before." Like, it's a weird comparison, but do you remember the first time watching The Social Network? It's nowhere mm-hmm. near as as great a movie. Nowhere near. But I remember the first time watching it. I was thinking, "This is a shift. The speed at which this dialogue's being delivered." is almost like Japanese to me. Like, it, it, I, I needed to sort of... I watched it in the cinema, so I couldn't rewind, but I was just like, I need to watch this again because the pace at which things are unfolding in this film, which has zero action in it, just conversation. <laughs> I was like, this is a new approach. And I, I love it when stuff like that happens. And I, I need to go and watch all the safety stuff because I, I haven't seen anything else by them. And they've clearly got quite a... Uh, <laughs> quite the approach Jim. You know you're to- in for a treat and and as, as Helen said the um the stress factor is high in in all of them I mean the one I would say <laughs> right. to, to try next is heaven knows what which is about heroin addiction in in New York um okay. and um uh, it's it's much more grueling than uncut gems but it's a phenomenal <laughs> grueling uh, yeah I know I know it's, it sounds crazy <laughs> to say it but it's, it's, it's a very very downbeat film and it's it's beautifully kind of alive and, and, and warm and there's serious humanity in it which is something the Safties do is even though they drag their characters through these unthinkably horrific situations that you you never feel that they're punishing them you know they, they love these right. characters and and, and they're, they're they feel I think privileged to be spending time with them in a weird way. Um, so uh, heaven knows what is really worth seeing. Good time and is good time. Good time is an, is is just such a, a a ride. I mean, it's so much fun um, okay. and to see we had, Pattinson. We had good time I'm adding them both well. to my list. Um, it, was, it was chosen earlier. Is, so, it, is that on Netflix? Good yeah? time. Good time is definitely on Netflix. Yeah. The, yes. The yes. All right. Cool. Others are a little bit to harder little to get hold of. And then the the pleasure of being robbed, I've seen that one, and that's more on the kind of surreal side of it. But what you say about the characters, I think the thing that I really like about their films is that, you know, these these characters are kind of on the outsides of society. They kind of exist in the darkness and they exist in kind of shady conversations and shady deals and, you know, kind of breaking the law. And you mm. kind of go on this wild journey with them and they're kind of not really that redeemable at times because of some of the things that they do. But during the duration of the film that you're with, you're kind of really on their side and you kind of want them to succeed, even though you can see that it's clearly not going to happen because it's bad decision after bad decision. There's the, the second film they, they made, Daddy Long Legs, um, it's, it's pretty tricky to see, but the Prince Charles did a screening of it. Um, when was it? It must have been around the time Uncut Gems was released. And it's about this phenomenally deadbeat, hopeless single dad who is um, looking after his two kids and treating them with the most kind of offhand lack of respect that you can imagine. I mean, there's one part where he has to work late. He's a cinema projectionist. Weirdly, he's played by Ronald Bronstein, who's the um, the, the Safdie's um, regular co-writer and editor. Right. And um, so he's he's called to, to work a late shift at the cinema because he's a, a projectionist. 
And so rather than getting a babysitter for the kids, um, he drugs them. Um, he grinds up a sleeping pill into their, I think it's into their food or into the, into the drink or something. And, and he basically knocks them out and then goes out to work and comes back. And uh, I mean, I, I don't, I, we're not doing spoilers. So, so but this not doing spoilers the, for other films, the, but we can't, yeah, obviously. I'm <laughs> levels, this story. The stress levels are, I mean, through the roof. And the, the funny thing was this, at this screening, um, the soundtrack to the film was sort of peppered with machine gun fire and people yelling. And we, in the audience, we just thought it was um, it was part of the Safdie's, um, you know, this kind of music concrete style um, sound program where you would have just these horrible bombardments of, of, of stress-increasing noises at sporadic points in the film. It turned out this was some bizarre copy protection thing. And the copy oh. of the film that the cinema had got was this hooky version. Completely, you know, not, not down <laughs> really? to them. Um, it was just a, an honest mistake. That's so they'd, weird. They played this pirate copy and everyone in the audience just accepted that Safdie films were so stressful that to have There's, random machine gun machine fire gun. on the soundtrack <laughs> would be completely normal. That's incredible. Daddy long legs. All right. Just go on IMDb, Safdie Brothers, and and watch everything we can we can find. Basically, is what we're saying. Uh, yeah, although, fair play. Be prepared to have your to hide your face. I mean, that's what because I, I saw it in Prince Charles in that week before it came out, and I was equally the same. It's one of those things like when I first saw The Office, either the UK or the American one, where I just I couldn't turn away from the screen, but also I couldn't look at the screen at the same time mm. through through many. Of his decisions, every time he was talking, every time he was talking, you knew he was going to make the wrong decision or say the wrong thing that would escalate a situation, which could, in other terms, be de-escalated by you know. And that, that, yeah, that, sure. That so scene it's, where it's, he's with KG at the, in the, in his office, and he goes, "No, I'm going to put that bet on you." Like, sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it's and a feat. It's a it's a feat of film writing right it's mm. a feat of, of of writing screenplay and and, and dialogue and creating characters to have a protagonist and supporting characters who really have no redeemable features and yet and you maybe you don't even want the best for them but you do want them to improve as a human being so they've tapped into something in us as audience members where they know that if they give a shit about the humans they create, we we will give a shit. Yeah, and it's it's, it's like a brave thing to do because I suppose it's more straightforward or traditional to have at least somebody to to root for, you know. Um, and and I think and, you end up rooting for Howard in spite of yourself, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. In, in that that's, final sequence, you really do. That's what I mean. Like how I, it, it's an impressive feat, and we should give a nod to people who are able to do this. Screenwriters who are able to do this to give us ir- these supposedly irredeemable characters who we still care about, you know? I mean, I, I was horrified to see what happened to Howard, you know? I- absolutely. Even still, though it, it seems so me. inevitable. It's so it's mm-hmm. so it's, anti-Hollywood. It's brilliant. I love it. That it you're is. just like, everything's going to go right. And then it doesn't happen. And that yeah. annoys a lot of people, especially in sure. recent film. They don't get the the kind of closure. They don't get the. Well, happy I think ending. it's hard for a lot of writers to even get it beyond the uh, development stage, the pre-production stage. You know, mm. to get those kind of ideas away. And if you want to get those kind of ideas away, a lot of the time you might have to do that independently. And to do that is going to be so much harder without that money, that studio money. So, like, I, I. There's certain films I watch, and Robbie will know way more about this than me, where I I feel like 
there's a better version of this script hiding away somewhere sure. in a drawer. Mm-hmm. And 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 the the rough edges have been sandpapered down to the point where it's just gone vanilla. You know, there, there's there's films where you're like, I see what you're trying to do. Obviously, there's loads where from the start you think this is what it is. It's mm-hmm. just saccharine. It's just mm-hmm. nonsense. It's this is what they wanted to do. They've done it, and it's it's very disappointing. But it's a weirder emotion when you watch something. You think, I wonder if someone's messed with this. Mm-hmm. There was something in this. And and what you get from Uncut Gems is that fleet free flowing, this is what the fuck we're doing, deal with it. <laughs> and you, you get that sense throughout. And you're like, and I think okay. That, that comes right through even in the locations, right? Because New York City has to be the most yeah. overfilmed <laughs> city on the planet, right? I've never been to New York. I know New York back oh, to front dude. because of having seen it on screen so many times, right? <laughs> but the Safdie's vision of New York is like no way of you know seeing that city before ever. It's like it's it's something, and it ties in with the the, the, the Daniel Lopezon score as well, which I think is, is is a total masterpiece on its own terms. Let alone the way it integrates beautifully with the film. But that is a score that's it's invoking Blade Runner. It's invoking Akira, like explicitly at one point when he's gearing up for that final bet with KG. Um, and then passes the the loot to Julia Fox out of the window. Um, mm. It brings in like the um, the kind of percussive. Is it a gamelan? I don't know. It's, it's the 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 Gino Yamashiro Gumi music. Uh, the I'm score for Akira. To you here, Robbie, I believe. Um, yeah. But you know the kind of and you know to to kind of pair that with this kind of sci-fi vision of the city. These kind of incredible kind of purples and lime greens. You know, this is not colours that you associate with New York. You know, it's, it's the kind of russets and the and, and, and the browns and then maybe some kind of gleaming skyscrapers as well. But this is a totally distinctive and totally fresh perspective on the city. And it carries through all of their work as well. Maybe less so Daddy Longlegs, but um, but but certainly um, Good Time and, and massively Heaven Knows What as well. You feel like you're seeing this city that you thought you knew with completely fresh eyes. And, you know, a, a, a knock-on effect of that is that the story itself feels fresh. You know, um, crazy Jewish guy running around New York City is is a kind of a fairly solid, you know, <laughs> tried and tested film formula. But but oh, this feels Woody like Allen. something completely exactly. But this this feels like nothing like yeah. Woody Allen. It feels nothing like anything that, that you know. Um, that's, it's that's got that so kind of true. crime thing, but it's not Scorsese esque at all. Even though Scorsese serves as a an executive producer, I think to 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 watch Uncut Gems now must have felt like watching. Mean streets back in the day, mm. like you're kind of looking at the place and going, "My goodness, is this what this city's really like?" I remember watching Shaun of the Dead for the mm. first time, and that and those initial opening scenes where he's wandering around, everyone's zombified, but he just thinks, "Well, that's that's London," you know. He hasn't clocked <laughs> that there's zombies, you know. <laughs> I remember watching that, and first of all, finding that very funny as a born and bred Londoner and enjoying it, but he goes into one of those really shit convenience stores. It's not like a brand. It's not a, not like a proper corner shop. Yeah. But you can kind of get everything in there. It's all been there for way too long. Best before date situation and stuff like that. And it's badly lit. And all, and I just thought, that's why do I never see that shop in films about London? <laughs> yeah. They're everywhere in London. They're the shops we all go into. Like I never <laughs> see them on screen. And I remember just that small thing 
I thought I'm going to like this film and and I was right and it just gave you just that slightly I mean not as artistically I mean the way that Robbie described um, Uncut Gems there on on the, on a musical and visual level is just that's why he's a film critic do you know what I mean it's amazing but um yeah it, it he's 100% right in that like this is another side to a city that you know I thought I knew or a city I I lived in, or a city I've been to and, and and know well, and that's 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 a different eye. That's there's so many elements to this film that make it stand out. That's good. This and that's is definitely one of them. There's, there's a couple of things I want to touch on before we head to the scores. And one's going back to yourself, Ben, and talking about how the script and everything works, and how it kind of some scripts have been kind of um, smooth away to vanilla to a vanilla nub. And on this rewatch, I realised how late you see that gun, and it's literally. In, in other films, you see the gun in the first kind of 20 minutes and you're like, okay, there's a gun that's going to appear yeah. somewhere. This time, I think the first time I saw the gun, we see the gun so late, it's like, well, what's going to do with that? And I still, on the second rewatch, didn't expect that to happen. I think that's all for the best. And that's probably why your man or your woman <laughs> fell off the chair because they still, it just came up as such a shock. Yeah. And I think I'd yeah. love to go, I'd love to talk to you guys, uh, get your brief opinion about the the uh, supporting cast, Lakeith and Idina Menzel, uh, KG. Um, but, tying in with what Robbie's saying about how this is shot. And this is one thing that Good Time did. And there's a sequence of Good Time where they go into like an, into an disused or abandoned... Um, ghost train, isn't it? Ghost train, yeah. And the mm-hmm. way they shot with a black light. And there's one scene where Lakeith in particular in this and Julia Fox is sh- shot so well in, the, in that nightclub where The weekend playing. That looked amazing in the cinema. It looked absolutely amazing in the cinema. For something that's like so close and intimate in a, a nightclub scene, it also made me jealous that we can't go to these places now. But that... <laughs> That to me is like a safety shot. I've only seen good time in this, but it just seemed like this. They know how to. They know how to curate these shots that make you feel like you're in it. And Lakeith's not a big guy. He played like Snoop Dogg in um, in the film, didn't he? So he's not playing someone with a big presence. But in that, he just had like back off Howard, and but Howard was just like, okay, I'm not playing. With he you. was a really <laughs> irritating presence in in a good way. You know, mm. just the way he just fudged every conversation. I know people like that. It's just the most irritating thing, <laughs> that vagueness. But um, listen, Lakeith and Adina, they don't need any more plaudits. They're both great and mm. they're always great. I just work with Adina. She's amazing. Lakeith, we know about. I think we should reserve some love for the fact that there are four actors in this film who are not actors and oh, really? they all do something unforgettable. Obviously, Kevin Garnett, obviously. Um, he's, the, he's the main one. The two guys, the two muscle guys mm-hmm. in the car, mm-hmm. they're not actors. They're just hoodlums, right? And the uh, the weekend, yeah, playing himself as a horrible bastard. <laughs> playing himself <laughs> as a horrible bastard. I mean... Like someone with a huge pop brand, you know. This is not like he play, he, he, I don't know he was an up and coming musician. Bowl, this, 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 this guy played the Super Bowl, man. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, oh, 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 I'm I'm gonna be that guy. Wow, as myself. The, do you know the amount of actors that would never do that? Actual actors. This guy's not even an actor. He's got a brand <laughs> to lose, and he's just like, yeah, I'm doing that. You got the two hoodlums in the car and a basketball player. I mean, it's mind blowing. What the safety's a lot of the guys here. in the Diamond District as well are Diamond District employees. That's where they work, and they, you know, they were brought into the. This is something the safties do incredibly well. Is they like they will channel the energy of a city yeah. into the film. So when they're shooting outside, I think even the sequence where Sander gets 
uh, yeeted into the fountain is <laughs> I think that was shot guerrilla style with no um, with no kind of barriers up. And because I did a when, when they imagine. came to town. Um, was it during London? I can't remember what it was. Anyway, I did a host a Q&A with them and Sandler kind of Skyped in as well, which was incredibly exciting. Um, but they uh, they were saying that, you know, you, you just kind of station assistants around the general area. And if people twig that a film is being filmed, an assistant will go over to them and, and suddenly engage them in conversation and ask them for directions to somewhere. <laughs> so you get this kind of very organic sense of metropolitan hubbub yeah. happening in the frame. And then you just let your leads loose and see what happens. And because of course, if someone is chucked into the fountain in the middle of a city, people are going to stop, turn around, laugh and point. And that's what you get, you know, but rather than generating that, um, rather than manufacturing that, they, they will allow the city to kind of do that of its own accord in the most cinematic way possible. And it's, I mean, that plays down to the Diamond District stuff as well. A lot of the guys hanging around those offices, they, that's where they work. And so you get this sense of mm. amazing authenticity, the sort of slang yeah. language that they throw around. I mean, going going back to the supporting cast, I think, you know, these are not, these are characters who could have very easily been played as types. Like Damani is, ultimately he's a fixer. Uh, Dina is a, the, the shrewish wife. You know, Julia Fox is playing the hot stuff bit on the side. But none of the characters feel like types. They all feel like totally inhabited, you know, lived in people with, uh, you know, they, they've they've got flaws, but they've 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 got great things about them as well. You know, there's reasons that we enjoy spending time with them as as the audience, and the Safties do shoot them like movie stars. They give them their close ups, yeah. and they're not even maybe conventionally beautiful characters, but we are sort of um, magnetized towards their faces in the way that you mm. would be. You know, going back to the you know the you know golden age Hollywood where where, where the, the close up was the kind of great machine for generating empathy. Mm. The Safties are using it in the same way, even though these characters are, and like you were saying, they live on the fringes. They're in the shadows. They're not people who are necessarily have the spotlight turned on them in their lives, and and yet we're sort of worshiping them in this in the way that we would old school movie stars. Yeah, absolutely. Can I sorry? Can I quickly ask one more question before we go to the scores? And this is a yes no thing. Do you believe The Rock was actually magic? <laughs> I think this is something from, you just have sports people. And I, I used to, when I was played rugby at school, for example, one game I had, um, I wore like a, a different sock. So for the next, and I played well that game. So then for the next games, I had to wear that sock. It's, it's that kind of nonsense. But, you know, KG's got millions to spend, doesn't he? So he's like, well, that, that's going to get me the MVP for the, for the NBA this year. I'm happy to spend 170000 to try and help me guarantee that. You you see it in his eyes when he stares at it. Mm. It kind of exists in his <laughs> eyes afterwards when he's looking at it. And it's like those films in the 80s, like where they get possessed by this thing in their eyes. And you, you can see that. He's the only one who's, so you thought, who you sees think it it's like magical? That. Yeah, it's magic. I'm with KJ. Uh, also, you've got that, um, that journey in the opening shot and the closing shot, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah comes out of the stone at the beginning and then goes into his eyes and we're back in that celestial space, mm. right? Is that right? Yeah, so at the beginning it goes into the stone and then comes out of his bottom. Um, and then at the <laughs> at the end it goes into the bullet wound and comes right. out to, to, okay. to view the Ethiopian sky at night. Um, is, the, is the rock magic? You could, ask, uh, you could ask that question about Parasite as well, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. 
Yes, I, it's it's hard to say yes or yes or no. Um, I don't, I really don't know the answer, but I I don't I like that I like that. <laughs> well, let's let's head to the scores on that point, guys. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So, first score is recommendability uh, out of five. Robbie Colin. <laughs> so, using using both names there. Five out of five, definitely. Is it? Do you have? Do you know people with nervous dispositions where you might think just maybe not you, but everyone I mean, else. It's just a film, isn't it? It's okay. You can you can get out, walk away, make a <laughs> cup of tea at the end. It's okay. I agree. Listen, if it, I I I can't deal with horrors. I'm not good with horrors at mm. all. But if someone said there was a five out of five horror, like just absolutely amazing like i've heard a lot about saint maud and i might yeah. have to watch that but i need, still need to give myself up for it because i'm not a horror guy do you know what i mean but if it's mm-hmm. a five out of five like, well, have you seen the get board, out i gotta check example. it out yeah i mean you, you can't i don't know if i was on with robbie when sure. i said that i didn't like get out oh, but um do you remember this I'm not. I'm not a huge fan, uh, and it gets me in trouble. So I just. I'm just not gonna. Not gonna talk about it any further. <laughs> <laughs> so uncut gems recommendability, Ben. A five, absolutely a five, and it, it. It feels like the type of film I would seek out, and the type of film I would enjoy. So maybe that's not saying much, but if you take that horror analogy, like just take it from me. Mm. If Adam Sandler running around being a dick sounds like your worst nightmare because you think it's going to be like click or something just ignore all of that and go and watch a five out of five movie there's you'll never have seen anything like it before so just on that basis alone it's a five on 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 that must watch scale do you know what I mean because even if you don't like the movie yeah you have to admit you've never seen anything quite like it before so it's a must watch Helen so for someone who would never ever recommend an Adam Sandler film. I would go on record saying this is the funniest Adam Sandler film. We haven't really touched on how funny it is, but there's some really, really funny moments in. There's a moment when he ends up being bundled into his own boot naked and has to get <laughs> yeah. his wife yeah. to come and open the is boot. That the school play. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That scene is hilarious. And you know, he he just tries to make out that he isn't naked in the back of the car. And there's a brilliant moment in it where his <laughs> wife says to him, your face is so stupid, you are the most annoying person I've ever met. And yes. I 100% feel that. And it's, 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 it's absolutely brilliant. And to my friend Simon, who has started to watch this and gave up because he said it was too, too stressful, I am 100% oh, okay. going That's to recommend enough. that he watches this again. And absolutely, ever since I've seen it, I've recommended it to everyone who's asked for a lockdown Netflix recommendation and I will continue to 100% recommend it to anyone regardless of their disposition because I think everyone should see it. If it makes them feel ill, brilliant. If it if they enjoy it, if it's their new favourite film, amazing. So I'm also going to go for a five. 
Yeah. Same. Or, of course, maybe like under 15s, no, but. Yeah. <laughs> under 12s, maybe not. Uh, 15, you can start making your, your own film education, can't you? I'm going to go for 4.75 here. It's just, I think there'd be a few, a few people who would be angry and have recommended this to them. Um, <laughs> and not because there's Adam Sandler haters. Um, this is certainly something. No, there are a lot of Adam Sandler. There are a lot, and Helen's one of them. And I'm a. And the thing with Sandler, which is which is the main thing with Sandler is that he can be great. And this shows why he can, this shows why he can be great. So when you see him in a film that isn't great, you just think, Oh, he's just phoning in. And I've seen, I've seen him perform live and it's amazing. Um, oh my just goodness. when was that? It was, um, like three years ago, I went to LA and went to Largo. It's like a, it's a small, like, like a comedy store kind of thing. I went to see mm-hmm. Jeff Garlin, um, Larry Sanders partner. Mr. And, Improv. And, yeah. And went to Jeff Garland and he just brought some friends on stage. One oh, of them was Andrew Sandler. One no. of them was Zach Galifianakis. The other one was Fran Healing from Travis. And was, so I didn't know these guys were going to turn up. And I was just like, well, this is great. Kobe, you really lucked great. out. You know the night before it was just all hog shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was your man it was it was it was your man from that 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 zookeeper film what's his face oh <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Smith yeah. Paul, Paul Blart Molkop yeah. yeah Paul Blart Molkop was the <laughs> yeah. night before not Kevin Smith which is probably yeah. my favourite Robbie Collin phrase of all time <laughs> it's, just, it's not a phrase it's the title of the film no no Paul it's Blart a Mol-Cop. Robbie Collin phrase I'm telling you because if you I, you you forget Robbie I was a huge fan of the show that we feature on before I was ever featured on it so I, I listened to you before I met you and I'll never <laughs> forget ever your Paul Blart Mall Cop review because for some reason throughout the review he knows he knows deep down that that movie title has become a phrase and the way it rolls off his tongue is consistently <laughs> hilarious it's like Paul Blart Mall Cop he never calls it anything other than Paul Blart Mall Cop it's like one <laughs> that's syllable. the name of the film ben, <laughs> you, come on you knew it's what you were doing Paul Blart Mall Cop. You did- <laughs> it still okay. makes me laugh <laughs> so yeah you got lucky yeah, it was. I'm completely, and to this day, I think the only reason I know it's three years ago is because when Facebook tells you that something, a picture you took uh, was three years ago, uh, it, was, it, was, it was today or the day before or yesterday. Um, I would say for Sando skeptics, there's um, one hundred percent fresh. His his most recent stand up film is also I tried on that. And it's I tried really that. worth watching because it kept on yeah. it kept on cutting in and out, didn't it? To different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's quite kind of it's quite authored as stand up film school, but I, I yeah. loved it. I think it's great. I think he's made a lot of terrible films, but I think people forget he's definitely had various good turns. Obviously, it's opinion, but mm-hmm. for me, Punch Drunk Love, Happy Gilmore, like this he and this is forty, which well. I, I don't, I don't like. This is forty, but is I love Adam a, Sandler. In it. Mean, is it funny this is forty? Funny, funny people, people. sorry, yeah, funny yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, funny people. No, I'm not. I don't like that film, but I love Sandler in it. So he, like, you're right, Kobe. He can do it. He's just sometimes perhaps he chooses not to or for his own reasons. Who knows? Why does Nicolas Cage make so many films? Meyer of its stories as well. The the Norman yeah, Bambach stories. He's great. And- if he's, yes, if he's miserable yes, go, or John. like life is against him, then I'm, I, I'm prepared to watch it. Okay. Repeat viewing score, <laughs> Robbie. So for me, five, I'm not sure that is something I would think is, 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 is a universal Standard, feeling towards yeah. the film, but for me, it's a five, definitely. Ben? For me, it's a three, but only because like, I need a year between viewings. <laughs> For me, it's a lot like, like Helen was saying, she likes to be thrown around on that ride. Do you know what I mean? And when she mm-hmm. was saying that, it really reminded me of, of fairground rides. And 
I still don't. I mean, I, 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 I'm in my 40s now and I still don't know if I like fairground rides. Like, there's a little element where it's like kind of exciting, but on, on the whole, like, I, I find it a bit too stressful moving at that speed and bit getting thrown around and that's that's the uncut gems experience so like i i want to see it again but i also don't want to throw up my my omelet you know what i mean i think there's 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 like two types of like high repeat viewing score there's ones where you need to see it again because there's so much detail and it's deep but then there's the other ones where you can just watch it again and again like literally day in day out and, and for me that's not this but it sounds like for you it's quite high repeat viewing score because you need to watch it again but you need some padding the padding there. I need space. I need some emotional space and time. Just give me some time. Helen. Um, so this was my second watch and I think it's probably about a year's yearish elapsed between the mm-hmm. two and I really enjoyed it. Um it made me wish that I'd seen it uh on a big screen. So hopefully when cinemas roll back to normal, um I, I will try and hopefully Prince Charles Prince might Charles. screen it. So I'll mm-hmm. I'll, I'll you try can and do count that. on Prince Charles. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. about once a year is quite good. So, um, mm-hmm. Same. yeah, I'm going to go for a four. I'm going to go for a 4.2. Just to cut above, I will watch it again. Uh, I think I like <laughs> the idea of the padding and the space in between each one. It's not going to be uh, every week kind of thing. Um, small screen score, Robbie. I'll say a three for this because I think it works on the small screen, but I think mm-hmm. it helps if you feel trapped by the film. Yeah. And you don't feel trapped watching at home regardless of how big your TV is ever. It's just a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think having the film bearing down on you contributes so much to how enjoyable it was that first time I saw it. Um, so yeah, three. And we also talk about this one quite often as being in a collective viewing experience with other people. So that person falling off the chair for you must have been for the mm. first time. Of course. I mean, it's like, I remember when I saw Irreversible, you know, the Gaspar oh, Noe film. Lord. Someone you saw it in um, cinema? Someone, yeah, and someone during the fire extinguisher scene uh, had some kind of a fit or fainted. I don't know what it was, a, f- a few seats along from me. And um, funnily enough, Mark Carmode, who was in the audience, got up and kind of f- f- did threw the guy over his shoulder like Fireman's Lift and, and, and hiked him out. Um, really? And then, yeah, honestly. And then, and then came back to his seat. And once the guy had come round, and this is this is testament to how, how great Irreversible is, once the guy who had had the, the fit or faint or, you know, whatever it was, came round, he came back in as well and, and you know, caught up. Incredible. So there you go. But yeah, those that kind of weird meta part of the cinema experience, it always colours your, your view of the film mm, yeah, for the better. Yeah. Ben, sorry, small screen score for you. Yeah, it's a, th- a three, maybe a little bit less. I'll say a 2.9 because... Only because <laughs> Uh, the, the film is obviously not worse it's a great film but I'm not the uh, now that I think about it, I was just thinking as Robbie was talking I'm probably not the best guest for a show like this because I tend not to watch films on television I watch television on television mm. I, I'm very like obviously the pandemic's made that next to impossible because you, you just can't go to a cinema but I believe a, a piece of cinema is just slightly different to everything else like watching films on tv is a bit like when your friend goes listen to this song you sit there you're not are you really gonna listen to every single bit of it like your friend wants you to you're not (laughs) you're not you know however you know if if uh you got it on the headphones first time and it's something that you've bought or you're at the the concert you have this more visceral experience with Mm -hmm. cinema it's like it's in a box that you're not supposed to leave for a reason. I don't care what the movie is. You watch it at home, 
you you've got the option to to stop and that's enough really to to not have the same engagement you know <laughs> like i want people around me that i don't know that forces me like to just be looking at this thing can't be distracted by someone else in cinema obviously unless they're misbehaving or whatever but yeah, I think that movies are supposed to be in the cinema. I I I thought that would change with all the uh, you know the the incredible access we've got to cinema, home cinema now and all the different uh you know apps that you can get and and yes, I've got them all. Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus. I've got them all because I love films and and my kids love films and but I much prefer to watch TV on TV and <laughs> cinema in the cinema. That's just me. <laughs> So no, uh, two point this... nine is not related to uncut gems. It's related to every film. It'll be two point nine the next time you have me on. Yeah, it's ideological. <laughs> it's exactly that. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I've always been kind of fine watching films on TV and at home, but in this past sort of two weeks, I, I, I think I've reached my peak film watching at a TV. Um, <laughs> I for the second time around, I actually watched this um, on on the laptop with headphones, which if you want to create that really intense thing on your brain at home then i would recommend um headphones um i've never had a chance to see nice. it in the do, in the cinema i kind of wish i had but then i i still i still personally i did enjoy it on the small screen so i'm gonna go for fair headphones if you want it in your brain i'm gonna go for 3.5 because i really did enjoy it in the cinema and um i enjoyed the collective experience um yeah, 3.5. It's going to go to the engagement score, Robbie. Uh, it's a five. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's I, it. I, yep. I don't need to add any more detail. Five from me as well. Uh, Helen? I'm also going to go for a five. And uh, th- there's one really brilliant moment that I noticed this time around is that at one point, he you can see he's still got like the tag in his shirt. So he's the kind of guy who clothes and like obviously is going to return them or use them as part of the deal. And yeah, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, give them to someone else. Got to be engaged. He, points, to he, he pointed out the tag still on them, didn't he? To the Gucci, to his Gucci shirt tag still on. Them. Yeah, that's he right. When it. he slings it at the the guy who yeah. was up until that moment, working from yeah. So if you're not engaged, you're going to miss like moments like that that are really rewarding. And that gives us an overall score of 4.33438, which is fantastic. Um, is that good? I'm to... glad. I, I don't want good. my 2.9 to like bring the whole thing down. Do you know what I mean? Because no, it is, really is a, a, a classic, a modern classic. Um, let's head over to Twitter, guys, and you can follow us, whoever's listening. Uh, we can follow us on Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter um, because we always give a shout out before going into the review. And in this case, saying we're reviewing Uncut Gems with Robbie Reviews, which is Robbie Collins' Twitter account, and Ben Bailey Smith. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts and a score out of five stars. And I think mainly due to Robbie's retweets and also, I guess, the love for this one, we have quite a few responses here. So um, maybe just take a couple each, guys. Yeah, so I've, I've got one here from Allman Brown who makes a really interesting comparison. He says, four stars, it reminded me of Midsummer. Both films left me utterly rattled and exhilarated in equal measure, but I'm not sure I could watch either of them again for a very long time. A few more laughs and uncut gems, though, that's for sure. <laughs> I, thought, I think Midsummer has laughs in it. Yeah, I'd say it has a few. I still need to watch it. I'm scared. This is... This is- I, I'm I'm echoing you, Ben. When someone talks about horror, Midsummer for me is like, I'll get there some point. Yeah, I get I get, get shook oof, so easy. Oof, that film, <laughs> oof, good grief! 
it's great. I mean, but I, I loved Midsummer. Loved it. Yeah, I mean, basically, the only time I really watch horrors is when I have to because of wittertainment. So, like, <laughs> occasionally, I've 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 just been forced to do it. Midsummer's one of those, and um, uh, I interviewed Elizabeth. Well, no, not Elizabeth Moss. Oh, yeah, Elizabeth Moss for Invisible Man. Right, mm, and, that's a great horror. Um, and what's oh god, her name's gone out of my head. Australian actress from the way way back. Uh, Hereditary. Oh, Tony Collette. Oh, Tony Collette. Mm. I interviewed Tony Collette for Hereditary. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was forced to watch both of those. Um, I'm really glad I did because Hereditary was hilariously terrible. Like, really Ooh, funny. What? Really funny, like, how bad it was. And and Invisible Man was just, you know, really scared the pants out off me. It's really straightforward, old-fashioned horror, but, like, it, it worked for me. And I love Elizabeth Moss. I love you- Tony Collette as well, but mm. Hereditary was... a Huge misstep. Can you see the Twitters there, Ben? Uh, oh, yeah. Twitter. Yeah. You pick, it, um, pick, so pick one that sticks out. I just you. pick any reply. Oh, there's lots yeah. of replies. There's one of a cat giving another cat CPR. That's just a gif. <laughs> that was just a gif. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Um, bloody hell. Watch this at the cinema in Jan 2020. Remember those? My stomach did bat flips. Five stars, but not in a rush to watch it again. Also, it's over 90 minutes long. Oh, so they their films have to be 90 minutes or less. I guess the, uh, yeah, the that's, clues that's in, there, in the podcast, 90 in their minutes title. or less film fest. F- fair enough. It did, didn't did feel like over 90 minutes, no. that film. Like, it, it flew by. Um, but yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with that whole statement more. And uh, here's, I under- here's a good one. Sorry, go, go ahead. Go on. No, no, no. But- I was just going to say that's where the, the the cat giving CPR came from, is the reply to that tweet. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't just having an aneurysm. Okay, great. No, so here's one from uh, Shitegeist, who says, strange and compelling, <laughs> like a bejeweled Furby. <laughs> we didn't mention the bejeweled Furby. Of so course, yeah, the bejeweled, bejeweled Furby. Yeah, the score alone is five gems. Yeah, that's beautiful, yeah. Bejeweled Furby, man. Helen, do you want to read one out? Yeah, so um, what was the one I liked? Oh, this is from Luke Thorne. Adam Sandler gives one of the best performances of, of his career. However, it's too far-mouthed for me to actually like it. And he's given it four stars. Wow, fair uh, enough. Do you want to take one more, Ben? Let's have a look. Oh, yeah, I like this one. Elizabeth Bolbeck. Stress! <laughs> <laughs> so you need to know. I think that sums it up well. I think that sums it up well. Yeah, man, um, definitely. Ben and Robbie, can we sign off by letting everyone who's listening know where they can find you online and say uh, goodbye for this episode? Yes, so I am uh, writing at telegraph.co.uk and tweeting at Robbie Reviews. And I uh, I don't tweet, I don't Facebook either, but uh, I'm occasionally on Instagram. Um, I'm just not, I, I don't really do the socials, but um, if you're desperate to get hold of me, my PO box is 49 <laughs> Greek Street. Uh, it's London W1D4EG and you can, any fan mail you send there or, or horrendous abuse I can get it from there, but because it's a PO box, I do get it quite late. So if you're really angry about something right now, it's just going to seem a bit lame in six weeks' time. But it's up to you. <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys, for joining us, and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. 
Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production. 